Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Um, so this morning, very specifically, uh, I just wanted to say hello to everyone here live. It's always good to have you guys here. I mean, we went through that year and a half or so that we didn't get people, and that was tough for very few numbers, so it's fun to see live faces. But I always want to say hello to uh, those who are online as well, because each week we actually have people who join us from all over. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes they're from different states, sometimes they're even from different countries. And so um, we just have this kind of reach that we've never had before to say hello. So hello to everyone out there as well. We're so thankful that you have uh, chosen to join us. Um, But for that reason, when I'm talking to all of you, um, I'm not exactly sure how things have been throughout, you know, wherever you are, especially those of you online. Um, I'm here in Rhode Island. The weather uh, has been hot. Amen? hot for about two, three, four weeks. It just seems to go on and on, and, and we're not getting the rain that we hope for. And I know it's been that way throughout the country. I know this way around the world. There are places that are just getting this heat. And you know, on the one hand, we expect heat in the summer, don't we? Right? We expect this heat that comes. Uh, we expect different kinds of heat in the summer. There's this, the heat that comes from the earth tilting, and the sun warms up this northern hemisphere, and we get summertime, and that's kind of normal. We also have the heat. Some of you guys have already gone out there and fired up your grill, right? You have heat that comes and cooks our steaks and stuff when we have friends and family over. We have that heat that comes sometimes of the rub you put on the steak. You know, you put it in your mouth, and there's some heat there. And so there's a lot of different kinds of heat that come out in the summertime, but uh, there's this other kind of heat that sometimes comes out when things start you know, the temperature starts rising and we find ourselves a little too um, congested with other people. Like when you're out on a hot roadway trying to get down to the beach and things are a little too clogged up, there's a heat that begins to rise internally, right? Right? Or maybe in a hot city street and there's too many people out there and people are getting irritated. We call it getting hot under the collar, right? Or that we're getting to our boiling point. It's this, this irritation, frustration that rises up within us, almost like an anger in our emotions, we say, can flare up suddenly. Because when it gets hot, people tend to get hot. As we return to the story of Jonah, we're going to find that Jonah has reached his boiling point with God at this point. God has done some things that have gotten Jonah angry. And so he's starting to get hot on the inside, in fact, literally, the word that's used in our passage this morning is it says, Jonah got hot. He just got angry with God. He expected God to pour out his anger on Nineveh. He expected God to kind of get hot and, and kind of boil over with Nineveh, and uh, that didn't happen. Instead, here's Nineveh, and they're sitting in the coolness of God's shade, of his grace, right? He's just sitting there, and they haven't really done anything except from just saying, okay, we're sorry for what we did, whatever it was, we're not sure. Um, but that's what, and so God didn't react the way that Jonah wanted, and so it made Jonah angry. Um, why? Well, stand with me as we uh, read the rest of the story in Jonah 4, 1 through 11. And we're going to look at why was Jonah so angry with God about being the gracious God he is. It says, God's inaction towards Nineveh greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Literally, he became hot. He prayed to the Lord and said, please hear me, Lord. Was this not what I said would happen while I was still in my own country? In order to avoid this, I fled to Tarshish. I ran the other way. Because, and hear this, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding, overflowing with kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. 
Therefore, Lord, please hear me now. Take my life, for death is better to me than life. That sounds kind of dramatic, doesn't it? But the Lord says, Jonah, do you have a reason for this anger? Well, Jonah doesn't answer him. Jonah, he goes out from the city and he sat down to the east of it and he made a shelter for himself and sat under its shade where he could view what would happen to the city, still expecting that God might change his mind. And the Lord appointed a plant and it made it grow up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and relieve him from the discomfort in the heat. And Jonah was greatly pleased about the plant and God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and the plant withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and unable to rise and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. And God again said to Jonah, do you have a reason for this anger about a plant? And Jonah responded, I have good reason for this anger, even to the point of wanting to die. The Lord said, you showed concern about a plant that died, which you, for which you didn't toil and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not show concern for Nineveh, this great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between living a right life or living a misguided life, not to mention the many innocent animals? Now, what's funny about this book is we don't get Jonah's answer. The book, it ends right there. I mean, for all we know, Jonah could be still sitting out there pondering God's question, right? Probably not. But um, here he is, and he literally, what happened is Jonah gets hot because God didn't get hot. We have to ask the question, you know, do we do that? Do we get angry at God? Do we even go set up a, a booth outside the city? Do we sometimes sit outside of somebody's life and just kind of watch hoping, waiting that God might bring that, that vengeance down on them because they offended us, because they hurt us, because they mistreated us, because even possibly they abused us. They, they showed violence towards us. Does it make us angry at times that God has, God has as much mercy as we hoped he would for us does it make us angry at times that God sometimes shows mercy, that, more mercy for others than we had hoped he would? Sometimes do we find ourselves setting up, waiting for the fireworks, right? Waiting for God to just rain down on someone's life. Today's message is called Waiting for the Fireworks. Father, this morning, uh, we need you to... Um, hmm. We need you to examine our hearts because these are, these are heart matters. These are, these are deep matters to us. And a lot of times the hurts that, are, uh, that we experience, they go deep. And because of that, the response and the reaction comes up from a very deep place. And sometimes places that, that we don't even fully understand. Sometimes places that you need to reach in and you need to do your work and you need to shine your light on our hearts in the same way you were shining your light on Jonah's heart to bring up, to, to help us really to, to bring us into that alignment with, with your own heart, with what you're about in this world. 
Father, just like Jonah, we are called to be prophetic people, people that live according to a, we march to a different drummer, right? We, we, God, we're, we're supposed to be um, living as citizens of heaven, even though we're living in this earth. And that's going to take a work that you do in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds that, that we cannot do without you. So Father, come and do that work today. Do that work through this, this story that you've given us through the life of Jonah. Give us, um, do your work through your word, your living word that plants itself deeply within us. And then your Holy Spirit uses to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So Father, do that work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So there are things that have happened in my life over the years that have taken a while to get over. I mean, I know that you guys, uh, everybody can relate to this. Um, I had a, a knee that I broke several years ago, and it took years, you know, a couple of years to get over, to, to get it to where it was even close to what it had been. I mean, it's never the same, but, you know, it took a while. I had a shoulder that I went out on my kayak one year, and I, I, I overworked it, and, and my shoulder froze up, and I literally could not lift my arm past here without doing all kinds of contortions. It took months to kind of do the, the work necessary to get my arm moving again. But that being said, I found that the... the the biggest traumas that happen in my life don't tend to be the physical things. You know, those are things you can kind of deal with. The, the traumas, the, the hardest ones to deal with are the ones that happen internal. Would you agree with it? Oh, hey. Every once in a while. We just have a song break out because people are excited. That's okay, Trudy, we've all done it. We've all done it. <laughs> But there are, there are things that happen internally sometimes that really are, are hard. Um, and, and the worst ones are when they have to do with people that we have, we have really given our lives to, that we've, we've lived life with, we've invested in them, we have, um, we have spent time with, we've grown to trust and to love. And then in those moments when we feel like they, they, they cast us off, they they kind of let, they, they treat us as if we're nothing. They even, uh, in some way, they turn on us and, and we feel this sense of betrayal. Those are the hard ones, aren't they? Those are the things that, that sometimes we don't ever seem to get over. Because it does a number on you. It really, it makes you start even questioning everything about yourself, everything about the way that you go at life. Because here's this person that's kind of like, you wonder if you know, if you, if you have you know, discernment about anything, because it seems like you should have seen that, that coming. You should have seen that, that kind of devastation. It, it, makes you, uh, it, it just makes you question everything about how you process anything about relationships and about the world and about how you trust too much or too little or, or whatever. You know, uh, when those kind of things happen, also, it doesn't just hurt, but we tend to, out of that hurt comes up this, this heat, right? A lot of times it's this anger, it's this, re, this reaction. And the deeper the hurt, the deeper the, the connection, the trust, the, the connection with that person, that relationship, the deeper that that anger uh, comes up from. You know, anger tends to arise because it's a result of fear when you feel like either you're being threatened or, or if it, it comes from shame that you feel like you've um, been humiliated by someone or by a situation or, or it comes up if you, if you feel like um, it might come out of frustration when you feel powerless or you feel like you've been made to be nothing 
in, in front of people. And it, often with betrayal, it's like all of those things that come together. And, and most of us, you know, unfortunately have had, have been through that, where we've had someone who has let us down in a big way. Um, the thing is, is that the one person that you would expect not to do that is God, right? God is loving, God is gracious, God is for us. We know those things. And so in those moments that it feels like God is the one that has betrayed us, that really digs in deep. That really, uh, uh, then the anger comes up from, I mean, this place that we don't even fully understand sometimes. That's where Jonah was in this moment because he felt like God was the one who had let him down. I mean, if you think about it, God had sent him to, to Nineveh. And he had given him this message. He had told him very clearly what to say to Nineveh. And um, Jonah was a prophet. He had prophesied before. In fact, he had been very successful in the northern kingdom. We've talked about that. He he was a very successful, well-known prophet. But here in Nineveh, he goes and he has this message. It says, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed for their violence, for their wickedness. But he didn't have that part. Just 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days in this major, this power center, this political center of Assyria. The, these people who are the enemies of God's people. They were gonna be wiped out. 40 days and these people that had this culture of godlessness and violence, they were gonna be wiped out. And that's all he was told. And you notice in that message that God said nothing about unless you repent. That wasn't part of the message. It wasn't even part of what Jonah was given. And so Jonah was going into this place saying this is the only message he's given is you have 40 days uh, and it's not even you have 40 days to do something about it. It's just in 40 days, you're gone. And then he's just gonna go out and watch it happen, right? But then they repent, even though they weren't told anything about repentance. They turn back to God. They throw themselves on the mercy of this God who they don't even know. And they say, God, you know, maybe he'll turn. Maybe he'll turn, and the little words are, maybe he'll turn his blazing, hot, burning anger, the heat of his anger, he'll turn it away from us. And he did. God saw it and he responded. And he turned away, he took away the heat. They, they now were under the shade, this, this coolness, this grace of God. And he didn't send his judgment. But from Jonah's view, he's looking at it. And, and think about this. You know, he's looking at him. He goes, going, yeah, but God, I mean, they're the same people, right? They don't know you. They still don't know you. They don't know the God they offended. They haven't received your word. They don't know how to, how to live a life that's right before you. They don't know how to, how to treat each other. They don't know how to, to live rightly just in their own lives. They don't know. They're still messed up. And, and in fact, history says and shows us that you know, it, it was right after this. I mean, they just go back to living the way they did. They didn't know a different way to live. So God has spared them, but only to go on and keep doing the things that they had done. And, and what, is, what is in all this for Jonah? Well, Jonah looks stupid, doesn't he? For he had gone through the city shouting at the top of his voice, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And then it didn't happen. And then he just looks like a fool. He's embarrassed. Again, Anger comes up from this humiliation of being embarrassed. God, you know, and God was the one who sent him there, right? God was the one who told him what to say. God was the one who wouldn't let him get out of it. That's why he turns to God and he says, isn't this what I said would happen when I was in my own country? That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I didn't want any part of this. It would be better 
for me to be dead than for me to be humiliated by you like this. Instead, now of being known as the successful celebrity prophet of Israel, right? Who's the words he proclaims always come true. Now, you're only as good as you know, your last prophetic word, I guess, because now he'd, he'd always be this laughingstock, this one who's known as this false prophet, this failed prophet who brought this word that never happened to Nineveh. You guys, that, that had to feel like betrayal. And so Jonah's angry about it. So God, God goes to work to get Jonah, what? To get him cooled down, right? Because he is fired up at this point. He is angry and, and he, he, God tries to get him kind of bring the temperature down a little bit so he can show Jonah his heart, why he does what he does. So that Jonah, not so that Jonah can be more effective at kind of getting the thing done that, that he says is gonna, but that Jonah would understand his heart, that Jonah could be what a prophet truly is, which is that he could be aligned with God's heart and what he says and what he rejoices in and what he, what he weeps over. But what's ironic is that to get Jonah cooled down, what does he do? He lets him go out and sit in the desert and get really, really hot so he can teach him what he's about. Now, in this section, you guys, there's so much here. Um, and I'd encourage you, um, this is a short book. It's four, four chapters in this book of Jonah. But there's so much here that we could look at. I mean, um, there is this, this play on heat, you know, and, and anyone living in the Middle East would have understood this. This would have been such a relevant kind of a, a illustration for them because they understood heat and shade. You know, they knew when things got hot that this is what you look for. There, there's this um, also, did you notice that God had to come back and tell Jonah, you know, he tells Jonah the first thing the one time and Jonah doesn't answer. He just goes out and does his own thing and he has to come back and say the exact same thing again. Kind of like he did at the beginning of the book, right? Here's this prophet that obviously has to be told it several times before he gets it. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I, I relate to that, right? <laughs> right? Where God has to tell me something, the exact same thing, Several times it's like, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, that's what you're saying. That's what you want me to do. Um, there's also this thing where Jonah, you know, he says, he says, let me die. Well, if you know the Old Testament, if you know the history of Israel, you know that there was this other well-known great prophet of uh, the northern kingdom, Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in Israel. And there was a point that he said, he, Jonah's actually quoting Elijah, this prophet at this point. And he's saying, let me die. Because there was a time when, when Elijah turned to God and said, God, just let me die. But what Elijah was saying it after was that Elijah had just won back the heart of Israel to God. He had just won back the heart of, of the people of God to their God. And, but there was this queen who was still after him. And he was just, he was wiped out. He had taken on the prophets of this false god Baal. And he had won this major kind of confrontation. And, but now this, this uh, and he had prayed and there was rain. and there, I mean, there was all this stuff. He was tired. And he said, God, I am just, if this keeps going, I just, just take my life. Well, here's Jonah and what he's saying about. He's saying, God, just take my life. It's miserable. Why is it miserable? Because he's angry because, because Nineveh is actually saved. All he has to do is walk back into the city and get a cup of water. He'll be fine, Right? He's not wiped out the way, but he's quoting, he's just being this over-dramatic prophet. And so there's, there's all that kind of stuff because I can relate to that too. Have you guys ever prayed to God that way? God, I might as well be dead, right? No, just get a drink of water, you'll be fine, you know? 
But the place I want to focus on in this section, because really what this whole section, where it goes, is it talks about this plant. It talks about this plant and how it's providing shade for Jonah. Now, Jonah had gone outside of the city, and I want you to get a picture of this. He had gone outside of the city, and he built, when he, it says he had built a booth. Now, booths were really significant in the life of Israel. Booths were where they lived. In fact, every year they have a festival of booths in Israel where they build these booths in their backyard and they'll camp out there for, you know, for days. Um, and what is to remind them of is how God brought Israel out to the wilderness. And in that time in the wilderness, how he taught them to frame a life that was godly, that would shade them from the heat of both his judgment and the consequences that would come in life if we make just bad decisions. Because we know those things happen, right? And so every year they reminded. And so here's Jonah, and he sets up this booth to, um, to shade himself from the sun. And, and God lets it happen. But then this plant grows up, aside from the booth. And it's something that Jonah has nothing to do with. And God you know, makes point of that. He didn't have anything to do with this plant coming up. And, and the thing about plants, as opposed to booths, is a booth is made out of dead things. And it'll provide a certain amount of shade and comfort. But a plant, if you guys have ever been under a tree... Plants like radiate that, that water almost that's within them. I mean, they are cooling shade. They're not just shade. And so God provided this plant that grew up and it, it, was, it was so much more and Jonah had nothing to do with it. And it's like a picture of the way that God provides his grace because judgment of God kind of, and we'll call it judgment, but it, it comes in a couple of different ways. One is that we read about those dramatic kind of um, unexpected, you know, out of the ordinary things. The ground opens up and somebody gets swallowed up or, you know, um, or plague breaks out, you know, that came out of nowhere. But a lot of times um, we also just suffer because we're suffering the consequences of our own bad decisions, Right? So we make, if I decide I'm not going to brush my teeth and I'm going to eat a lot of candy, then I'm probably going to have my teeth right on my head and I'm going to have dental problems, right? Now, is that God doing that? Well, it's kind of written into the, the, the nature of the universe. You know, that's, it's the consequence of an action. And so God wrote that universe, so kind of he's responsible, but does that mean he's behind it, making it happen? God, you've made my teeth rot. No, no, he didn't. He gave us a really obvious way to not have our teeth rot out of our head. Just take care of them a little bit. You know, if we pump our atmosphere full of greenhouse gases, right, and we wonder, why are things so hot? You know, is that God, is that God you know, really sticking it to us? Well, you know, he wrote it in the nature of the universe that if we do that, if we don't take care of the, the planet we live on, we could really foul things up, Right? But is he doing that? No, it's kind of the consequence. So there's, there's that kind of judgment. Well, God had taught his people, listen, if you will live a right life, you can build a, sh- a shelter, a booth, that will help you be shaded from this, this, these consequences that can come, which are kind of my judgment, but it's not judgment. It's just it's the consequence of your poor decisions, right? But then there's this other grace of God, that he shows, and he says that there's this grace that he can provide too that just has nothing to do with us. It's just, it just rises out of nowhere. It just comes and it's even, it brings more, more grace. It's cooling kind of a shade rather than just this thing that this hut provides. 
And, and we don't know, you know, Nineveh, as he said, he, Nineveh was going to be destroyed. Well, and maybe it was going to be the supernatural act of God. You know, a volcano was gonna erupt and just blow him to bits. Or, or it could have been that it could have been something as a result. We don't know what the act of judgment was gonna be because it never happened. But we do know the grace of God. And this plant was this picture of the grace of God that had come up and it's shaded them they hadn't worked for it. It was unmerited. They, hadn't, they didn't even change anything about themselves. It just came up and it provided the shade for them over their lives and kept them from having to suffer under that judgment of God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I said that God leans hard to the side of saving us. He leans hard to the side of his grace. In fact, he will move anything to show his grace if we will respond to him in the way that he asks, which is just turn back. Turn away from your foolishness. Turn away from your violence. And he moves everything. And, and, and we know that, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we were just talking about how he, he longs to, he, he leans into um, salvation and his, his grace and his goodness in our lives. Because he says he doesn't, he is not glorified by by us suffering. He is not, regularly, he says, he's not, he's not honored by us being destroyed. You know, um, Jonah, he says, um, he says to Jonah that even if he is willing to let his word, you know, and you think about the word of God and how we trust and we, we depend on the faithfulness and the, the reliability of God's word and his promises. But he says, you know what? I will even, he shows them with Nineveh, I will even let my word fall flat. Right? Because he has spoken a word of judgment. 40 days, this, this place is gonna be wiped out. I will let my word fall flat if it means I can rescue because they've turned. That's amazing. That God would, he, that God would even, that, you know, um, Jonah he responds to God, he acts like he had, he had looked like a fool you know, because of what God had done. But God had looked like the greater fool, hadn't he? Right? Jonah goes and he proclaims this word, but he proclaims it in the name of this God. And then when it doesn't happen, and the Ninevites are looking going, well, maybe it never was gonna happen. Maybe we just kind of made a big, big deal out of nothing because it was never. Do you guys remember Y2K? Some of you guys are old enough to remember Y2K. Right? And we had this, this proclamation that all our computers were gonna crash and the world is gonna be in chaos in, in the year 2000, January 1st, man. 12 o'clock, everybody's stocking up toilet paper, especially. I remember it was a big deal. Um, and so people are stocking up and you know, they have bunkers and everything and then it just went through, nothing happened. And then everybody's like, uh, maybe, maybe nothing was ever going to happen. That's how Nineveh was feeling at that moment because nothing happened. They're going, maybe this is a goofy you know, guy that just he was a little off his rocker. Sounded convincing, but, and maybe his God really isn't as strong as he thinks. God looked like the greater fool because he always leans to mercy and he always leans to salvation in response to repentance. A prophet never looks like a fool except that God has gone there first. Do we get that? Because sometimes I think that we think that we, uh, we look like fools for following Jesus. 
But a prophet never looks like a fool except that God has gone there first. We might get bothered and angry because we believe God, God has done something to us, but in fact, God has probably had that thing, has entered into that thing first. That's the life of Jesus. That's the illustration of Jesus. He says, come follow me, right? He says, take up your cross and follow me. Because he's not going to ask us to go to a cross except that he went to the cross first, that he looked like the God who failed first for the sake of salvation, that he took on the heat of this world first for our sake, and then he asked us to follow. And so sometimes we do, we take the heat of this world, but it's only because God went there first. So he says, Jonah, you know, it may look, it may look like you were a fool, but I look like the fool first and bigger than you, and I always will, because I will always lean towards grace in response to repentance. In Ezekiel, 20, or Ezekiel 33, 11, God says to Ezekiel and to the people of God, he says, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from their wicked way and live. And he responds in that way. So Jonah knew, Jonah knew that, and that's why he said to God, he said, this is why I didn't want to go there, because I knew that you are, a, you are a God who is compassionate, and you're gracious, and you're slow to anger, and you're way overflowing with kindness to people that don't even deserve it. But then he throws this phrase in there, he says, and you are relenting, you are turning back when it comes to calamity. He says, I knew that was a possibility. Now, what's interesting is he's quoting the greatest prophet of Israel, Moses, the first prophet of Israel, who in Exodus 34, 6, God's telling Moses who he is. And he says, I am the God. I am compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. But the last word, truth, is really the, is faithfulness. He says, I am abounding in loving kindness, but also faithfulness. I will always be faithful. Well, that sounds like I'm gonna be faithful to my word. I'm never gonna change what I say. But here in Jonah, he changed what he said. And Jonah recognizes that what God is faithful in, he will never change in this. God will remain changeless in the fact that he will change anything to show his mercy in response to repentance. And in Jonah, we see even letting his own word seem to fall flat. Even seeming to be a fool, even seeming to be a failure, God will go through that if it will rescue us in response to repentance. That's powerful. So through the plant, God shows Jonah this mercy in this very tangible way. And it says that in Jonah 4.6, 4, where it says God caused his plant to come up and shield him from, from the heat of the sun and from his discomfort. And that word discomfort is really a word that's tied into this idea that shows that it's a picture because um, discomfort is tied in this word for evil, like the evils of this world. The shade was showing Jonah that he's, even in this world, we can consider the sun, oh, it's making my day miserable, right? As if the sun's doing something, you know? It's just shining, and we're sitting out in his heat, but he says he, he protects him from that misery of life that comes at times because of what happens in this life. And it says that Jonah was greatly pleased about the plant. What's funny about that line is that at the beginning, it says that he was greatly displeased with God because he had shown his shade, his mercy to all these people in Nineveh. But now he's greatly pleased with this plant because it shows this mercy to him. And God says, you know what, Jonah? 
He says, you're more concerned about what happens to you. And you're even more concerned about a plant, about a plant, than you are about 120,000 people. And he describes a plant, he says it shot up overnight. And then it died in the morning. He goes, what kind of plant shoots up overnight and grows to be an enormous size? I mean, we have them in our yard, right? We go to mow the lawn and what plants are the largest and the widest and, and seem to, you know, they thrive. Our whole lawn's turning brown, but here they are green as anything. What do we call those? Weeds. You're more concerned about a weed than you are 120,000 people. And what's gonna happen to them? Not to mention the animals that just happen to be in the wrong town at the wrong time. You know, Jonah went out and he goes out to see what God's gonna do. In fact, he sets up this booth because he hopes to have a front row seat. He hopes that God will change his mind. He's voiced his displeasure. He says, I'm very displeased with you. I think you should reconsider this. Um, your word's failing. My word seems to be failing. You know, he throws all this to God. He's embarrassed, you know. But God answers him by showing Jonah that he is this compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and always willing to change in response to, to change anything, to change everything. Even his own word, if someone repents, if someone turns from their way because he is not, he's not pleased with the death of the wicked. He's not pleased with the destruction of our lives. He's not pleased when we go sit in the sun and we're going, why is my life so miserable? It's like, you're in the sun, right? Just, I, I've given you places to live that don't look like this. And he, he is that God. And he says, and so this book, it ends and Jonah doesn't answer. And what we say, why doesn't answer? Well, it's because you know what God is doing? He's saying, you know what? I, he leaves this book open because he's really throwing that question to us. He's saying, so how are you gonna respond to that? Because we do that. He says, will you quit going out and sitting under your own righteousness and then being so thrilled about my, my undeserved mercy in your life Will you quit going and doing that but setting up in a place so that you can watch the destruction of others? Will you quit pulling out of the lives of those who maybe need your presence and your, your witness more than even then? Will you quit pulling out of those lives? Will you, will you quit pulling out and, and just waiting to see how God's gonna destroy them? Kind of with a little smirk on our face. Going, well, they deserved it anyway. Yeah, well, don't we all, Right? That's the the whole point of mercy. Will you learn to follow after my heart instead of just after your own? Learn to live in the shade and thanksgiving of a life that's in the shade of God's mercy and extending that mercy like God would have it as far as possible. Amen? Amen. You guys, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've asked you to do two things, uh, a couple of things. One is uh, write down some names of people that God has put in your life that you believe need the shade of God. They need the mercy, the grace of God. They need his intervention. Their lives could be falling apart. They might just, you know, who knows? But God's put them on your heart and he's connected you with their life. Write them down. Start praying.
praying for them. Start praying that God's mercy, his kindness, it says in Romans, the kindness of God is what leads us to his repentance, to repentance, to turn. Well, pray for his mercy, pray for his kindness to show up in their lives. Second is this. I said, start looking for those opportunities to actually be used by God to show that kindness, to bring the shade, to bring the relief. Look for those opportunities to just so that the kindness of God would become tangible in their lives. Third part is this, and we're gonna kind of lean into this as kind of the third part for this summer project we're in. Look for those opportunities that God gives you to actually share, right? So we have prayer, we have care, we have share. To actually share the reason why. To share about the God who shows his mercy. That we show his mercy not because we're so great, but because we've experienced that same mercy. Haven't we? That we pass it on to others because this is who our God is and we want them to know him the way that we know him. Amen? Write those names down, you guys. If you haven't even started that, you can start that project today. Pray and ask God, who are those people? Open up those opportunities so that they might know you.